Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. And uh, you divide up into teams. What's your criteria going to be? Well, depending on the game, you're going to pick kids to be on your team that you think are athletic enough to win the game, right? If you're uh, with some friends at someone's house and you're playing like a trivia pursuit or some kind of game like that, you're going to the best of your ability. If you're picking, you know, teams and uh, it's your turn to pick, you're going to try to pick somebody that's got, you know, pretty good knowledge, right, of a variety of things because you want, you know, you want to win the, the trivia game. When it comes to business, obviously, if you're recruiting people for your team, you want people that are skilled at whatever business it is you're in. All that to say is this, when it comes to leadership in the church, what should you look at? Should you look at Bible knowledge? Should you look at church commitment? Should you look at uh, their giftedness? Well, obviously, all of those are important, okay? But the most important thing that I think raises the tide on everything is their walk with the Lord, their relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to be able to look at people that you can see God at work in their life. I like what this one author said. He says, can you imagine Peter? Now put yourself in Peter's shoes for just a minute. Can you imagine Peter being informed by Jesus? Okay, think about Think about, you know, he was a fisherman. And remember, you know, there's a couple different scenes in the Bible where, you know, when Jesus called Peter, uh, they were out in a boat. You know, he was on Peter's turf. And he said, you know, you know, launch out to the deep. And, you know, we, we fished all night, Lord, but because you say so. And so he did, you know, the, the fisherman let a carpenter preacher tell him how to fish just one time, okay? And when he did, there were so many fish that Peter was overwhelmed, and he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Because in and, and that moment, Peter knew, but he had tangible proof, you're more than a carpenter, okay? You're more than a preacher. You're, you're, you're the Lord. He believed that. And uh, that's when Jesus, throughout the call, says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, can you imagine if Jesus told Peter on day one, Peter, I want you to follow me. God's going to work in your life. God's going to work through your life. And in about three years, you're going to preach and see 3,000 people saved. What? Me? What are you talking about? You're crazy. Uh, In other words, if he had known that on the front end, he would have said, who, me? What are you talking about? You're crazy. Now, the question is this. You look at Peter on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and he's full of the Holy Spirit and boldness and faith and here he goes. You're like, that man has been with Jesus. That man was with Jesus for three years. Now go back to that same man when he first met Jesus. Do you see the difference? Okay. What I'm, go- what I'm driving at tonight, the point I'm trying to make is this. When it comes to Leaders in the church, they have to be developed and they have to be discipled. And how do we raise up leaders in the church? The same way Jesus did. We have to disciple them. 
he spent time with them, he taught them, he prayed with them, he prayed for them. And if we are going to raise up leaders in the church, we're going to have to do the same thing. Um, you might say, well, I don't, I don't think that will work here. Suppose, suppose we have a bunch of men, they're just not cut out for that. Well, have they been discipled? That's the big question, because that makes all the difference. Someone said every church needs to answer two basic questions. What is our plan for making disciples, and is our plan working? I love that. Uh, we do have a plan. We call it our disciple-making pathway. You've heard me preach on it before. We've talked about it uh, in, uh, in leadership meetings like church council and stuff. We, we try to review it regularly. You know, know God, find community, um, serve others, and make disciples. Know God is the, is the focus when we gather to worship on Sunday. Find community is the focus when we put people in Bible studies so they can not only fellowship with one another, but have conversations centered around God's Word and how it applies to our lives. Serve others is what we're trying to do with all of our ministry teams and service teams that we have in the, in the church. And of course, make disciples. Ultimately, that's the, the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission in two words is make disciples. How do we do that? That's what we do in D groups. You've got to have a practical plan for that, and that's what we do. We had our annual church uh, D group training last month, and um, the cool thing was we had some folks in our training that don't even go to our church. I think that's awesome, okay? Uh, we had a couple people that don't even go to our church, but they want to they wanna learn what a D group is so they can do it as well. And I think that's awesome because that's what we are called to do, to make disciples. Now, let me give you a, a verse to really think about for a moment. It has everything to do with making disciples. It has everything to do with elders. It's got all that rolled up in, 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 in it. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It's one of my favorite verses. And um, it uh, says this in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Paul, talking to Timothy, says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, I've always looked at that verse through a disciple-making lens. Because in that verse, you have Paul, okay? And that's generation one. And then you have Timothy, that's generation two. And then you have faithful men, that's generation three, who are able to teach others also, that's generation four. In other words, in that one verse, you've got four generations of believers, okay? You, you've heard, I'm, I'm sure, uh, some of you are sport fans, and uh, when it comes to coaches, okay? When it comes to, to coaches, uh, some of the big ones they talk about, of course, Nick, Sam Nick Saban at Alabama. When it comes to college football, uh, you should look at the number of assistant coaches that he's had that are now head coaches, Okay. Georgia that just won it all. That's actually, if I think this is right, in the national championship earlier this year when Georgia actually beat Bama in the national championship game, that was the first time that Saban has lost to a former assistant who's now a head coach. First time. And that one's going to sting for a while too in the big game, right? Um, they call it coaching trees, 
okay? Coaching trees. They'll, they'll look at well-known good uh, coaches that are good leaders, and then they'll go and, go and look at the, 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 the field uh, of coaches out there and go, well, how many people are in his coaching tree? They do that in the NFL when it comes to Bill Belichick, also with Andy Reid in Kansas City. Uh, I'm sure they do it in, in other sports as well. Um, you, you see that. Um, if I'm right, isn't there a certain former UK assistant coach who has gone to the... Yeah, we won't talk about that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I did that, Bob. <laughs> so anyway, you get the idea. Well, think about it in a disciple-making context. Think about it in a church context. You know, wouldn't it be cool if we were so serious about making disciples that 10, 15 years from now, we could, go, we could look back at our life and go, well, you know, by God's grace, he allowed me to lead this person to the Lord, and that person led that one to the Lord, and they, they led, you know, person three led person four to the Lord, and so on and so on. That, that's awesome. But also, what about if you just mentor someone? Say you mentor someone, you take them under your wing, you invest in the relationship, you spend time with them, you pray with them and for them, and, and, you, and you have a lot of great conversations together about, about the Lord, and you, you mentor them, you disciple them, and then in a few years, they go and do the same. And then that person does the same. All of a sudden, you've got four generations of, of Christians in your spiritual family tree, if you will. I really do believe that's God's will for every Christian. I think the problem with our mindset today is we just don't think that way. We, we don't have that mindset. We don't have that mentality, okay? But when you go back to... Other parts of the world, I know right now in the, in the eastern side of the world, you know, Africa and other places, the gospel is exploding right now. And, you know, those that live in third world countries and in agricultural societies, they read the parables of Jesus, and it really describes, you know, what they're going through. You know, a farmer went and sowed seed, and that, that resonates with them, and they begin to think, wow, am I, am I letting God's word produce fruit in my heart, in my life? And so we, we need to go back to this mentality. And uh, Paul, uh, you know, he is mentoring Timothy here, and he's giving him a truth in 2 Timothy 2.2 2, about making disciples. But also, when you read this verse through the lens of elders, it fits, okay? Remember Paul told Titus to appoint elders in every town there on the island of Crete? Um, you know, Timothy, he's, he's got to do the same. And so he says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, which will be the gospel and the teaching of God's word, commit to faithful men. Who are the faithful men? And, and these faithful men have to be what? Able to teach others also. And, and it's interesting to me, I, I latch on to that term, able to teach. Where have you heard that? Well, in 2 Timothy 2... We're reading it, but if you go back to 1 Timothy and look in chapter 3 where it's talking about elders and overseers and the list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, 2, the very last one in verse 2 is able to teach. So when Paul is telling Timothy, everything that you've you know, heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to commit to faithful men who are able to teach. My question to you is, who are those faithful men that are able to teach? 
It's got to be elders. It's got to be elders. So with that said, tonight I want to answer the question, what is the biblical process for appointing elders? And if that word appointing makes you nervous, I'm just using what the Scripture uses there. Um, First of all, let's look at Acts 20. I'm going to skip a verse and come back to it. I had one above that, but let's go to Acts 20. Acts 20, 28. Um, This is a a key verse that pops out at me. Um, This is where um, Paul... Uh, met the elders from Ephesus, and um, he, he, he was sharing with them and praying with them, and he was telling them farewell in Acts chapter 20. He says, I won't see you again. He was on his way to Jerusalem, not knowing what was going to happen to him there, and he literally gave them a farewell speech. But in Acts 20 verse 28, uh, notice what he says here. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. There's so much in that verse. First of all, the church doesn't belong to leaders. The church belongs to Jesus. Amen? Uh, Jesus is the one that purchased the church with his own blood. It's his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church ultimately. Okay? And the leaders, the the shepherds, the overseers that he puts in place are appointed by the Holy Spirit, okay? Appointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, to put that in modern lingo that, that I understand and hopefully you will understand, I would say it this way. It has to be a call from God, okay? That's what, when the Holy Spirit appoints someone, that's... That's one way of saying it's a call from God. And so let me lay out, I think, five things here, pieces of the biblical process for appointing elders. The very first one is a call from God. The Holy Spirit appoints them. Now, let's go back to 1 Timothy 3.1. This, this was the first verse I was going to read, but I skipped. Uh, Paul in 1 Timothy 3.1 says, This saying is trustworthy, If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Uh, If you you like to study like I do, you can read 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, the the pastoral epistles, because they were written from Paul to young men that were pastoring churches. And in those three letters, there are five trustworthy sayings that, that Paul mentions. How do I know that? Because right before he says it, he goes... Here's a trustworthy saying, okay? And this is one of those trustworthy sayings. It's about leadership in the church, particularly about being an elder, a pastor, a shepherd, an overseer. And it says, if anybody aspires to this, he desires a noble work. Now we've gone from looking at God's side of the equation to looking at man's side of the equation, okay? How do I know... God's calling me to do something. Well, on God's side of the equation, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. On your side of the equation, when you look at it through the eyes of human experience, God will put a desire in your heart to do His will. Okay? That's why it says, if any man aspires to be, he desires a noble work. And so, you will have the 
desire to do what God wants you to do and you will have the aspiration, whatever He wants me to do, that's what I'm willing to do. Uh, That's one way of saying a call from God. Let me give you one more verse about this to hopefully give you more clarity on it. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and it's interesting that this is Peter. Remember him, the the fisherman that... uh, Listen to a carpenter preacher tell him how to fish, but it changed his life, okay? Uh, Peter is writing his letter, the first one, and uh, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock. Whose flock? Not my flock. God's flock. Okay, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Okay, God wants us to be willing to serve Him. He wants us to be willing to follow Him. If He's calling us to leadership, He wants us to be willing to be led by Him so we can lead others. And so when you put all this together, Acts 20, 28, 1 Timothy 3, 1, and 1 Peter 5, I think when you roll all that together in one big ball of wax, you see how God calls someone, okay? He begins to put the desire in your heart. You begin to aspire to, you know, I really would like to do what God wants me to do. And then the Holy Spirit begins to work in you and begins to reveal, this is what I'm wanting you to do. And then ultimately, your will has to be involved where you say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever it takes, wherever He leads, I will follow. Lord, whatever You want me to do, I will do. Well, when it comes to a biblical process for appointing elders, it has to start with a call from God. Period. Okay? Period. Uh, It has to have that. The second thing involved is they have to meet biblical qualifications. Uh, We have to meet biblical qualifications. Let me just, I'm just going to read these. We we really looked at this in depth uh, uh, already, but I, I want to read them just to refresh your mind. I'll start with Titus 1, verses 6 through 9 where Paul tells Titus to appoint elders in every town there on the island of Crete. He says, An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. And then you jump over to 1 Timothy 3, and it says overseer. And I know I've said this before, but I'll remind you again that in Acts chapter 20, Paul used these words interchangeably. In 1 Peter 5, they're used interchangeably. Uh, Elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor, all those terms are used interchangeably to apply to the same office and the same group of people. But in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. 
He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? Again, whose church? God's church. I really want y'all to see that because we can, we can get caught up in, in leadership. We've got to remember whose church is it? Jesus. He's giving us the orders of how we should do things so we don't have to make it complicated. It's His church. It's His word. It's His will. He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so he does not fall in disgrace in the devil's trap. Uh, we looked at this in the past, and here were my teaching points, and I'll mention them quickly. When it comes to meeting the qualifications of Scripture, when you read all that and you, and you look at it in practical terms, it means they're an example of integrity. It means they're a leader of their family. It means they are a, they're a model of maturity, and they have a good reputation in the community. Think about it. If you're going to have a spiritual leader in the church, they've got to have integrity. They've got to lead at home. They've got to model maturity. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but they, they handle things well. And then when they make mistakes, they, they deal with them. They don't deny them. And then they have a good reputation in the community. So what is the next step in this biblical process for appointing elders? Well, we have a call from God. That is, to me, that's of utmost importance. Number two, meet biblical qualifications. Scripture gives you a character sketch of the kind of person that it's going to take to, to, to take on these responsibilities. And then the third thing is to examine and select godly men. Now, if you will look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, here is another very important passage that deals with elders. And it's in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Um, I'm going to focus on just two or three verses, and then the rest of them we'll look at next week. I'm breaking this up uh, so we can do a little bit now, and we'll do the rest next week. But um, examine and select godly men. In verse 22 of 1 Timothy 5, Paul tells Timothy, don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder, and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And that word, when it says, don't be too quick to appoint, that literally means to lay hands on, okay? I'm saying that now because here in the next point, we're going to talk about the laying on of hands, okay? So I'm just pointing that out now. But don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. Don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. What is he saying there? Well, when it comes to um, leadership, you don't want to get in a hurry. You, you don't want to just find a warm body and put them in there. Or as Danny was saying, uh, I hope you caught what Danny was saying Sunday. He was really thankful here at our church that we're trying to do things the right way. Because sometimes in smaller churches, they'll just, any warm body will do, right? Or, or sometimes it's, well, let's make so-and-so a deacon. Maybe he'll come to church more. Did you ever hear that when you were pastor, Brother Don? Darren, I've heard it too. And every time I heard it, you know what I did? I cringed. I went, doesn't work that way, okay? Doesn't work that way. Um, so don't be too quick to appoint someone as an elder. Then skip on down to 1 Timothy 
5 verse 24. And he gives us some principles here on how to evaluate someone. He says, some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. Now there he's giving us some principles. When it comes to evaluating men before you know, they're appointed and elected and selected and all that to serve uh, as an elder, overseer, or pastor, the first thing you want to do is uh, look for the obvious things. Is there anything obvious in their life when it comes to their integrity, their maturity, their family, uh, reputation in the community? Is there anything that we need to know about that would scream, red flag, red flag, uh, rather not, okay? Um, once you get past that hurdle, what's what I call the obvious hurdle, then you take the second look. Notice it says, but the sins of others surface later. Sometimes you look at people one time and you go, man, I like what I see. Or as somebody once said, anybody can look good on paper, right? <clears throat> but when you take a second look, the things that aren't obvious uh, will not remain hidden. They'll surface later. And he says not only is that true of the negative, the sin, it's also true of the positive, the good works. You know, sometimes you're looking at someone, well, they're quiet. I don't know them very well. They're always here. They're always faithful. They always have a smile. They always have something good to say. If we're doing something, they show up, this, that, and the other. Uh, and then you're like, well, well, how do they do this and how do they do that? And then you take a second look and you're like, wow, they're, they're having their daily quiet time. They, they, they leave their home. Uh, they've got some ministry stuff or whatever stuff going over here that I didn't know about. But, but you take a second look and it makes you go, wow, you know, there's more there than I, than I realized. So that goes, that, that sword cuts both ways, if you will. So examine and select godly men using these principles found in the Scriptures. So what else is the biblical process for appointing elders? Well, a call from God, meet biblical qualifications, examine and select godly men, and number four, install the candidates. Uh, we're fixing to do that with deacons here pretty soon, you know. And um, I don't know if they got nervous or not, Jerry, when we told them the other night we was going to lay hands on them. They probably went, what's he talking about, right? Uh, but, but I say that with tongue-in-cheek. What does the Bible mean by the laying on of hands? Um, let me, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smile on this one. Um, let me go back to... Uh, Hebrews 6 for a minute. I want to read this to you. Uh, you may not have known this was in there. Sometimes when we don't see something practiced much, we're like, well, what is that? Is that in the Bible? Or my favorite, is that a Baptist teaching thing, you know? Well, I'm going to show you that this is a Bible thing, and it definitely should be a Baptist thing if it's a Bible thing. But in Hebrews 6, the author was saying that we need to leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and we will do this if God permits. In other words, there are six things 
are three couplets, three pairs of things that are elementary basic teachings in the, in, in the Word of God. One is uh, repentance from dead works and faith in Jesus Christ. You have to repent and you have to believe in order to be saved. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, when you come to Christ, you have to leave your life of sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus. That, that's a description of what salvation is. And then the uh, next part, um, even though the CSB says ritual washings, in the footnote it says, or about baptisms. And so then you've got teaching about baptism and laying on of hands. Well, as Baptists, we, we know about baptisms, right? But when we hear laying on of hands, it's kind of like we go, whoa, is that a charismatic thing? Whoa, okay, right? And then the last couplet is, is what? It is uh, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And believe it or not, uh, according to the Hebrew author, that's just elementary basic teachings, okay? Uh, when I avoided Bible prophecy for years, I didn't understand it. I had all the books. I'd read them, all those big words and everything else. And I tried to just say, well, it, it don't matter. It's all going to pan out in the end, right? And uh, I'd pray, and the Lord would take me back to this verse. And I'm like, okay, so Lord, you're telling me that if I don't understand resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, I'm still in kindergarten. I'm still in elementary school. Well, then let's learn it. So, so that's basic stuff, you know, the uh, resurrection of the dead. Uh, we're going to mention that this week with Easter Sunday, right? Uh, eternal judgment. We know a day is coming when He will judge the world in righteousness. But then in the middle, you have baptisms and the laying on of hands. Did you know that the laying on of hands was a prevalent practice in the Old Testament and the New. It really was. I won't, I won't focus on the Old Testament. For our purposes and for our limited time, I will focus just on the New Testament. But on the Old Testament, it was there. And in the New Testament, it's there. So what does it mean? Well, let me give you a couple of practical ones, and then I will expand uh, our understanding a little bit. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, trying to stick to you know Paul's letter to Timothy, so that you get an idea of what this practice is in its context. But in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, Paul told Timothy, this young pastor, don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Wow. If you're like me, when I first studied this, I was like, wow, you mean this has been in the Bible? Why didn't I notice this before? But it's there in plain sight. So here, the council of elders, in other words, S, plural, a body of elders, they, they laid their hands on people that were you know, dedicated to serving the Lord and ministry. And Paul is reminding Timothy of that. Now, when we read that today, the only time we see something like that happen is when someone's ordained, okay? Uh, but when you look at ordination from the Scripture, what we do in practice and what you see in teaching are, I guess, two different things. Um, I, I believe ordination is a good thing, but I don't think we need to get caught up in this clergy-laity dynamic that has, uh, that has hampered the church for years. You know, the, the first Reformation, they said, was about the work, Word of God, okay? 
the, the, the second one will be about the work of God. In other words, mobilizing people to serve God in ministry. That's really where the church is today. If the church is going to be the church, then we've got to mobilize people to minister and to serve because we're all ministers. We're all missionaries, whether we realize it or not. And then in 1 Timothy 5, 22, he says, don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. And that word appoint there really refers to laying on of hands. Don't be quick to lay hands on someone uh, and, and appoint them as an elder. Now, this issue of laying on of hands uh, is very interesting. I'm going to give you three quick verses um, in, in the New Testament to kind of catch you up to speed on this practice. And it's not complicated at all. In Acts chapter 6, remember the seven men that, in my opinion, became the first original deacons in the Jerusalem church. Um, there were widows that were being overlooked in the distribution of food. And so once they selected seven men, uh, it says in Acts 6, verse 6, it says they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. There you go. And so when they were installed to serve as deacons, if you will, they brought them before the apostles, and the apostles laid their hands on them. Okay? Then you've got in Acts 13. Now in Acts 13, you're in Antioch, and they're fixing to be the first missions church, if you will because they're, they're sending out people to go on mission. And so in Acts 13, verse 2, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, maybe they weren't Baptists, I don't know, Jerry, they were fasting. Okay, pardon my humor, I, it comes out, okay? So anyway, it says, they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Are you seeing a theme here? They tend to lay hands on people when they are recognizing them and commissioning them to do whatever God's called them to do, okay? Um, and then 2 Timothy. I know we've been looking at 1 Timothy. Let's look at 2 Timothy very quickly. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, the very beginning of the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, remember, that sounds a lot like 1 Timothy 4.14, where he said, don't neglect the gift that's in you. Okay? That's in, in both those verses talking about a gift and the laying on of hands. So I believe Paul is regularly reminding Timothy, Timothy, you answered the call. We all support you, and we prayed with you and we sent you out with God's blessing. And that hadn't changed. The laying on of hands. And so that's what it means. I was sharing this uh, with uh, Devin. I said, Devin, if I, I wasn't here when this happened, but, but Lisa, when you know Devin was led to go to Haiti for what, three years or whatever, 
just just hypothetically here, I said, as your pastor, if that had happened under my watch, we would gather around, lay hands on you, pray with God's blessing, and send you off. Okay. In other words, that's what the practice of laying on of hands would look like in today's church. Okay. Um. So, the biblical process of appointing elders: a call from God meet biblical qualifications, examine and select godly men, follow those biblical principles we mentioned, install these, these elders with the laying on of hands, and then number five, pray. Pray for these men, okay? Pray for these elders. Um, this jumped out at me as I was looking uh, for a scripture to kind of illustrate that. It's Hebrews 13, verse 17. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I thought, even though it doesn't say elder, it doesn't say overseer, pastor, or shepherd, it says leader. And it says they keep watch over your soul, and they'll have to give an account. That sounds like a pastor, does it not? That sounds like an elder, pastor, overseer. Um, even though the word's not mentioned, the responsibilities are. They keep watch over your soul, and they will give an account. And so pray for them. Pray that they might have a clear conscience that to the best of their ability, they try to walk with God every minute of every day, of every moment, and do the right thing, okay? And then also pray that they will conduct themselves honorably in everything, okay? Everything covers everything, okay? Just everything. And so pray for these men. They need our prayers. And so tonight, as I wind this up, uh, and we'll look more at... um, Elders again next week, and we'll go back to 1 Timothy 5 and look at the parts that I didn't touch on tonight. We'll mention them next time, and then we'll begin to pivot toward deacons after that. We'll spend three weeks on deacons. Um, But my challenge for you tonight is this. Pray that our church will model a disciple-making culture, okay? Um, We are called to make disciples. That's what the Great Commission is about. And uh, part of making disciples is developing leaders, okay? If we have done our job, then every one of us that has any kind of leadership responsibility should be able to look over our shoulder and say, here is someone that's behind me, and they may not be a leader today, but I am praying for them and I am mentoring them, and my prayer is that one day when I'm gone, they will, they will, you know, take the mantle. And I'm saying that for all of us that are leaders. Uh, also pray for God to raise up leaders who will teach God's Word, okay? We need that. The church needs that. And so that's my challenge to you tonight is to pray for our church to, to, to model a disciple-making culture, and pray for God to raise up leaders who will teach the Word of God. Well, let's pray. 
Father, we come before you tonight. I thank you for this time and your word. I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to understand everything that we're looking at in the scriptures. They come straight from your word. And Father, help us to be that disciple-making church, Lord, that is creating the conditions for people to come to know Jesus, to grow up in their salvation, to learn to obey all the commands of Christ, and to go out and share the gospel with others. And Father, I pray that you would raise up men, Lord, that are called by you, that will be uh, examples of integrity, that will be leaders of their family, that will be models of maturity, that will have a good reputation in the community, Lord, that will be called to to teach and to lead and to model and to serve. Father, I pray for uh, our two uh, deacons that will be installed at the end of this month, Father. I pray for them and their families right now, Lord, as they begin to seek you and, and to serve you and serve your people, Father, that you would give them wisdom and grace. And Father, I, I pray right now, Lord, as we begin to look at what the Scriptures say about biblical leadership, Lord, may we all strive and aspire to be an example, a Christian example to someone else so that we can say, follow me as I follow Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.